Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 12, verses 1 to 12, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. The verses before us contain a historical parable. The history of the Jewish nation, from the day that Israel left Egypt down to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, is here set before us as in a mirror. Under the figure of the vineyard and the tenants, the Lord Jesus tells the story of God's dealings with his people for 1,500 years. Let us study it attentively and apply it to ourselves. Let us observe in the first place God's special kindness to the Jewish church and nation. He gave them particular privileges. He dealt with them as a man deals with a piece of land which he separates and hedges in for a vineyard. He gave them good laws and ordinances. He planted them in a goodly land and cast out seven nations before them. He passed by greater and mightier nations to show them favor. He led alone Egypt and Assyria and Greece and Rome and showered down mercies on a few million people in Palestine. The vineyard of the Lord was the house of Israel. No family under heaven ever received so many signal and distinguishing privileges as the family of Abraham. And we too, who live in Great Britain, can we say that we have received no special mercies from God? We cannot say so. Why are we not a heathen country like China? Why are we not a land of idolaters like Hindustan? We owe it all to the distinguishing favor of God. It is not for our goodness or worthiness, but of God's free grace, that England is what England is among the nations of the earth. Let us be thankful for our mercies and know the hand from which they come. Let us not be high-minded, but humble, lest we provoke God to take our mercies away. If Israel had particular national privileges, so also has England. Let Englishmen mark this well and take heed, lest that which happened to Israel should also happen to them. Let us observe in the second place God's patience and patience towards the Jewish nation. 
What is their whole history as recorded in the Old Testament but a long history of repeated provocations and repeated pardons? Over and over again we read of prophets being sent to them and warnings being delivered, but too often entirely in vain. One servant after another came to the vineyard of Israel and asked for fruit. One servant after another was sent away empty by the Jewish tenants, and no fruit born of the nation to the glory of God. They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. Second Chronicles 36.16 Yet hundreds of years passed away before the wrath of the Lord rose against this people until there was no remedy. Never was there a people so patiently dealt with as Israel. And we too, who dwell in Great Britain, have we no patience of God to be thankful for? Beyond doubt, we have abundant cause to say that our God has been patient. He does not deal with us according to our sins or reward us according to our iniquities. We have often provoked him to take our candlestick away and to deal with as he dealt with Tyre and Babylon and Rome. Yet his patience and loving kindness still continue. Let us beware we do not presume on his goodness too far. Let us hear in his mercies a loud call to us to bear fruit, and let us strive to abound in that righteousness which alone exalts a nation. Proverbs 14.34 That every family in the land feel its responsibility to God, and then the whole nation will be seen showing forth his praise. Let us observe in the third place the hardness and wickedness of human nature as exemplified in the history of the Jewish people. It is difficult to imagine a more striking proof of this truth than the summary of Israel's dealings with God's messengers, which our Lord sketches in this parable. Prophet after prophet was sent to them in vain. Miracle after miracle was wrought among them without any lasting effect. The Son of God himself, the well-beloved, at last came down to them and was not believed. God himself was manifest in the flesh, dwelling among them, and they took him and killed him. There is no truth so little realized and believed as the desperate wickedness of the human heart. Let the parable before us this day be always reckoned among the standing proofs of it. Let us see in it what men and women can do in the full blaze of religious privileges, in the midst of prophecies and miracles, in the presence of the Son of God himself. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Romans 8, 7. Men never saw God face to face but once when Jesus became a man and lived upon earth. They saw him holy, harmless, undefiled, going about doing good. Yet they would not have him, rebelled against him, and at last killed him. Let us dismiss from our minds the idea that there is any innate goodness or natural rectitude in our hearts. Let us put away the common notion that seeing and knowing what is good is enough to make a man a Christian. The great experiment has been made in the instance of the Jewish nation. We too, like Israel, might have among us miracles, prophets, and the company of Christ himself in the flesh, and yet, like Israel, have them in vain. Nothing but the Spirit of God can change the heart. We must be born again. John 3, 7. 
Let us observe in the last place that men's consciences may be pierced, and yet they may continue impenitent. The Jews, to whom our Lord addressed the solemn historical parable which we have been reading, saw clearly that it applied to themselves. They felt that they and their forefathers were the tenants to whom the vineyard was let, and who ought to have rendered fruit to God. They felt that they and their forefathers were the wicked laborers who had refused to give the master of the vineyard his dues, and had shamefully handled his servants, beating some and killing some. Above all, they felt that they themselves were planning the last crowning act of wickedness, which the parable described. They were about to kill the well-beloved son and cast him out of the vineyard. All this they knew perfectly well. They knew that he had spoken the parable against them. Yet, though they knew it, they would not repent. Though convicted by their own consciences, they were hardened in sin. Let us learn from this dreadful fact that knowledge and conviction alone save no man's soul. It is quite possible to know that we are wrong and be unable to deny it, and yet to cleave to our sins obstinately and perish miserably in hell. The thing that we all need is a change of heart and will. For this let us pray earnestly. Until we have this, let us never rest. Without this, we shall never be real Christians and reach heaven. Without it, we may live all our lives like the Jews, knowing inwardly that we are wrong, and yet, like the Jews, persevere in our own way and die in our sins. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, not only Israel nor Great Britain, but have we not, at least in Canada or in the United States or other places, also received blessings from the Lord? Do we give thanks for the various blessings, or do we only groan under the evils that we see? Second, in the mercies we do enjoy, does this not lead us to thankfulness, but also to a desire to bear fruit for God's glory? Do we believe that God's kindness leads to repentance? Third, do we believe that the ultimate problem is the human heart, or a host of other issues that the world is trying to sell to us, such as the color of our skin? Do we believe that the only hope to this problem is the gospel by which the Spirit makes us born again? And lastly, do we pray for God to change our hearts and wills earnestly, the only hope we have, and so prove to be His disciples?